0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want to go ahead and encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to invite Michael Thorne, one of our elders, to come up uh, to read for us out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And if you would, uh, as a church, please stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Uh, just in case you're new here to Central, uh, if this is you're wondering why we're standing, we stand uh, because we believe that God's Word is authoritative over us, that, that, that His Word is His revealed Word to us, and so we want to give it the respect it's due. And, and while this isn't magical, it's just a way we can posture our bodies to be reminded of what it is that we're about to read. And so, Michael, uh, I'll pass it off to you, brother. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thank you, brother. Well, as we jump into this sermon, first I want to just acknowledge um, welcome to all of our kiddos. If you see and feel like the room is a little more wiggly than normal, uh, that's because we've got a lot of our kids in this morning. Uh, We did that on purpose because we wanted uh, to have an opportunity to just be all together in the family, in the room, our kids and uh, volunteers, people who work. And so uh, it's okay that there's a little bit more wiggling going on and it's okay that maybe they'll make a little bit more noise. In fact, maybe it'll encourage us all to be a little bit more vocal. Like, I'd be great with a few more amens and um, all kinds of, you know, talk back. Like, it's okay. So um, we just, we're glad that our kids are in with us. We, we love you guys. And uh, we just, it's such a neat thing that you get to be in here with us uh, as we uh, celebrate, as we go to the word of God. And so let's uh, uh, just be mindful of that and, and the realities of that. And it's a joy to have our kids. That means there's life, amen? Like, there's new life. So every time a baby cries, just think, Jesus, thank you for a new life. Like that little kiddo, right? Like it's okay. And that one. And I think there's like three or four. And that's okay, right? So it's perfect. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I came to this sermon and as I was preparing this sermon, uh, I, I actually had to leave my office um, and, and go get something. And I was coming back in. On the day I was doing that, um, I saw my assistant Stephanie and she was drinking coffee. You think, well, what's the big deal about her drinking coffee? That's pretty normal. Well, she was drinking coffee through a straw. And it wasn't just a normal straw, it was actually one of those little straws. And yes, I gave her a hard time about that. Um, and, and, And as I thought about that, I'll give you a little insight into how I'm wired. Sometimes I'll see something like that, somebody drinking coffee through a little straw, and my mind will start going down all kinds of like rabbit trails. And I'll start thinking about all kinds of other things that are totally unrelated, which is why when I'm preparing a sermon, I don't leave my office. Because I end up in all kinds of different places. Well, anyway, so I I saw her drinking that straw. And as I went into my office to get back to the sermon, I started to do all kinds of things. Maybe I was procrastinating. I don't know. But I just started to think about all kinds of different things. Like, I wonder how many straws we use as Americans. And so I actually Googled, like, how many straws we use in America every day. Does anybody want to give me a guess on how many straws you think Americans use per day? Just speak it out. I heard like a thousand, I heard a million. I think one of the kids was like a thousand, that's amazing. No, 500 million straws every day. Isn't that nuts? Now you say, why in the world am I talking about straws as we're about to go into the book of Ephesians? Well, there is actually a reason and I didn't realize it at the time, but as I was thinking about that, I started thinking about, man, that's a lot of plastic. And then I started to think about, man, like we, we dispose a lot of things, don't we? Like we've got disposable straws, we've got disposable diapers, we've got disposable cameras, we've got disposable this and disposable that. And I started to think about who we are as a people. And I started to think about our culture. And what I started to realize was as a culture in many, many ways, we are a very, what I would say, uh, let's say unfaithful or kind of a disposable culture. And here's what I mean. Like there used to be a day, for example, when you bought a pair of pants and a shirt, like you wore that pair of pants and shirt for a really, really long time. Like when you decorated your house, you decorated your house for a really, really long time. But our entire world is built upon making sure that everything we have right now has a lifespan, doesn't it? Our clothes have a lifespan, our our phones have lifespans, our decorations have lifespans, and as a culture we're constantly trying to move away from what we have to get the newest thing. We are a people who are literally in this culture bred to think about things in kind of temporary sense. Well, I'll have this shirt for one season, I'll have this car for one season, but then I got to get the newest one, I've got to get the best one, I've got to get the next thing, the best fashion, the newest fashion. And we are a very, very disposable people in a sense. And what I mean by that is that aspect of our culture has also gotten infused into our relationships, hasn't it? You say, no, I don't ever see people as disposable. I don't ever see relationships as, as something that's, you just move on from one thing to the next. Well, listen, think about it within our culture. We are the most depressed people that we've ever been most anxious people we've ever been. And every study out there says we're the loneliest people that we've ever been. Like why? Part of it is because we live in what feels to be like a disposable world where we just kind of move from one thing to the next. Just some interesting things that I thought about and I, that, I, that I found. You know what the average friendship, how long an average friendship lasts? Seven years. They go, that's a pretty long time. But when you live to be 80, 90, it means you're rotating friends all the time. The average romantic relationship lasts two years and nine months. Interesting, when you think about making a close friend, Business Insider did a study and they found that it takes an average of 50 hours to develop a casual friendship. And that's not like sitting next to somebody in this room. Right, like that's actually engaging with someone. Just to have a casual friendship takes 50 hours. To have a close friend, someone you would consider to be a close friend, it takes 90 hours. To have a deep relationship, a deep community and close friendship, it takes 200 hours with someone to develop that kind of a relationship. And again, it's not just sitting in a room. How often Do we get to that? Just think about it in your own life. How often do you get to that? And I say a lot of these things to point out the realities of our world and to help us think about who we are and as society and culture is pressing in on us to wonder like, has this changed the way we view relationships? Has it changed the way we value community and value fellowship? I genuinely believe that it has. And we might sit here and say like, oh, that's not me, like I value these things, but I really say these things and I give you these statistics to help us just consider, like how long do your friendships last? How long have you been a part of that community? How long have you been a part of the church? And some of you have been here for a really long time, but how long do we maintain relationships? And before we jump into this text, one other thing, if we live in a world where we can see society and culture pressing us to shallower, more shallow relationships through social media and disconnection and busyness and privatized homes and where everything is kind of individualistic and we see society pushing us to that, we see society pushing us to kind of a disposable view of the things around us, don't you think that that should concern the people of God? Like, should we just adopt that and just go with the flow? So I don't believe that we should, because we need to be reminded that this world is being directed by a very real enemy. Amen. And if the world is pushing us that way, we should be really aware and cautious to not get pushed away and along with it. So I want to begin with Ephesians chapter four or chapter four, verse one. And as we do, my hope for you, for myself, for this body, is that we might catch God's vision for what fellowship and friendship and community should look like within the body of Christ. That we would recognize where we might be failing, where we might even be falling short in regards to his vision for us as his people, for his name's sake, for our good. So Ephesians chapter four, verse one says this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I underline the word called there because it signifies, and what Paul is reminding us, like, when we have been called to something, there's an intent, there is a purpose behind our calling, isn't there? Like, do we just get to live however we want? No, no. As Christians, we're called to live in a certain way. And Paul's saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called. Now, we might think of this in terms of morals and ethics, but where does Paul go immediately after he says this? He goes into community. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I mean, you think about your calling, and you think that you've been called to something, and you think about these things. Can these things be worked out alone? You can't. Humility can't be worked out alone because it takes, you have to be engaging somebody else to be engaging somebody with pride or humility, being called gentle. I can't be gentle to somebody. I can't work out that part of my calling all by myself. Patience. I need people to press me in way for patience to grow. Bearing with one another in love? Like, how can this be when we're by ourselves, or if we are by ourselves, or even in shallow relationships? Paul sees that there's a connection between our calling and being together as the people of God. Jesus saw the same thing. Look what he says in Matthew 22, a verse you're probably familiar with. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Neither of these things can be done or fulfilled outside of community. Because part of loving God is loving neighbor. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. In fact, it goes so far in scripture to say that if you say you love God, but hate your neighbor, the love of God is not in you. Like these two things are together. So for us to be faithful to the command that God has given us to, we need to be doing it together, not alone. Which leads me to my first point for this morning, which is this, our calling is fundamentally tied to deep community. We are the body of Christ. And in our individualistic society, we can easily be led to believe, man, this just isn't that big of a deal. It's not that important. Or we can believe that a day like this, a Sunday gathering, like that's sufficient. Even though I may have some just peripheral friends, like that's good enough. Like that's all I need. I've got just a few friends and that's, that's fine. But the truth is we cannot live out our calling apart from deep community. It simply isn't possible. And if you are living that type of life, if you're trying to, at the end of the day, you're not listening to your king. You're listening more to the world. You're listening more to the world. Jesus has built his church. Jesus has decided what the church should look like its intent, and its purpose, and how it's framed, and how it's built. I don't build the church. The elders don't build the church. We don't get to decide what it looks like or what it shouldn't look like. He built his church, and he has called it to function like a body. Many individual parts coming together as a whole. I've heard people call it a beautiful tapestry. I've used that before a unity of brotherhood, a place for relationship. And it's all founded not upon our affinities, right? Not upon all of our socioeconomic spaces or where we all came from. But as Ephesians said, it is founded upon the fact that we are one body because we have one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. That is what joins us together. Yes, we are to go out there Yes, we are to be missional people. That's why every week we read the Great Commission at the end of our time together to be reminded that we gather together so that we can then go scatter out into the kingdom, out into the city. But I would contend that regardless of how important we might say community is, There are several things that I, and frankly, other pastors that I speak to on a regular basis see practically working itself out in people's lives that say that we don't take the fellowship in the body of Christ as serious as Jesus does. So what are some of those things? Let me just share a few of them. One, there is little commitment to the body in which I'm in. There's a commitment to what I feel my needs are There is a commitment to my preferences. There is commitment to things that I like or dislike, but there is little commitment to be in one place and walk with one group of people in patience and gentleness, working for unity and peace. Does unity and peace happen easily? No. I love my wife dearly. There's nobody else in this world that I have as good of friendship and relationship as my wife. And it still takes work to maintain unity and peace in the home, right? It doesn't just happen naturally. This is an effortful thing. And yet in our world, we're told all the time that if something causes you a lot of effort or a lot of work or something's challenging or difficult or if it doesn't make you feel good, and we just heard about some of these things from Natasha Crane Friday, then we just bail on it. And we just go to the next church down the road. Church, remember, this wasn't possible 200 years ago. Like 200 years ago, if you lived in a community and there was a church in your community and you went to that church and that church didn't make you happy, you were stuck. All right? Like you couldn't just drive your car 15 miles away and go to another church. That was who you had to be part of. And how many people coming to church have a vision for being a part of the same faith community for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Parents seeing their kids grow up in the church and have kids in the same church and then have their kids a part of the same church. Like there is an intent here behind what God wanted us to be. And in our day and age, like commitment's hard to come by. And it's easy. It's, it's just easy to move to the next church. Well, Darren said something that made me mad, so I'm going to go over here. The music was different, or it was too cold in the building, or too humid and hot in the building, or, or on and on it goes, and we just move on. That's not how you develop deep community. Deep community is sticking through the hard and persisting to work in patience, and endurance, and love for one another, even when our means may not be getting met. Second, love means very little. We live in a world and a day in which people will say all the time like, oh, I, I love you, I love the church, I love this, I love that. But, but friends, who, who's defining what love means? Our, our world, see, kiddos. Um, who defines what love means? Oftentimes, it's the cultures that's telling us what love means. We say we love pizza, we love this restaurant until they change their ingredients or they, they change the way they cook their, their crust for, for whatever they're making. Like We love all these different things, but what does love really mean? Love means you die to yourself every day. Love means you seek the good of others every day. Love means you you don't think of other people first. Love means that you're patient. Love means you're kind. Love means you're gentle. Love means you seek to honor other people above yourself. This is what love means. And so often we'll say things like, oh, I love you, brother or sister, but I'm leaving. Love bears all things. It hopes all things, and it endures all things, according to 1 Corinthians. Thirdly, I would see this fellowship is a low value with our people. And I'm not specifically talking about central. I'm talking about in general within the church, but fellowship has low value. We value a lot of things. We value sports and we value um, fun and careers and sleep. We value a lot of different things, but what is our priority on fellowship, on community? We see it in the way our lives kind of work themselves out, what we're busiest in. Next, next, Relationships are rarely built on the unity of spirit. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, it's pretty easy to have a good friendship and relationship around things that we love, right? Like, for example, I have a lot of people that I have really easy times talking to about how amazing the Chiefs are. We talk about how good they played against the Chargers on, on Thursday night and how they're the best team in the NFL. Right, And people like Donnie or we who like the Dallas Cowboys, like it's hard for me to talk to them, right? Because they just don't see reality the way it should be, right? So, but it's easy to talk to a Chiefs fan. Like it's easy, like that's easy. And listen, I I say that in jest, but listen, that's part of all of our relationships, isn't it? Like, we, we can build friendships with people that we like certain things about, Like, right? If you like to play music with somebody, it's easy to, to be with them. If you like certain kind of movies, it's easy to be with those people. Like, it's easy to have those kinds of engagements with others. But what's not so easy is having our relationships grounded, not just upon those things. And those are great. Like, that's awesome. Like, I'm going to talk about football with my friends But I also need to be talking about what God's doing in my life. I need to be talking about what God is showing me and what God is showing them, and I want to hear those things. Like Our relationship, most importantly, within the body of Christ isn't based upon whether you like the Chiefs or I like the Chiefs or you like this restaurant or that restaurant. It's based upon Jesus. How often do your conversations with your friends especially your Christian ones, turn to things of God. I think sometimes we just don't realize that it doesn't very often because that takes work and it takes effort. And sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable, but this is what God has called us to because our calling is fundamentally tied to deep community. Next, I want to say this. God's community is commanded and it is objective. Meaning this, This isn't a subjective thing. We don't get to build a church or community or or any of those types of things based off what we personally like. God has told us what the church is supposed to look like. God's told us what the church is supposed to look like. And so I wanna run just through some quick things, um, commands and principles in scripture where God has said, "Like this is what the body of Christ, this is what deep community and fellowship is supposed to look like. The first one is to be devoted together devoted to teaching and to fellowship, right? Now, this isn't a command in Acts, but this is a primary component of what the church looked like in Acts 2, to be devoted to these things, to prayer, to be devoted to one another, to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Are we devoted? What does that mean? Like, are we devoted to those things? I'll run through some of these quick. One of the other commands we see in Hebrews is to stir one another up. Are we stirring one another up? Are you being stirred up? Another one is to exhort one another every day. How many of you have relationships where you're continually exhorting one another in regards to your faith? Like, not just once a month, every day. And maybe that's through a text Maybe that's through, uh, hey, I read this in scripture this morning. Some of you may even be doing it through social media. I- I'm not sure, but the point is, it's like this is actually supposed to be a guiding principle for us. Are we trying to do these things? Confessing your sins? I of mean, you have places where you confess your sins. And listen, I, I don't even wanna sit around and just think about like, the kind of confessing that oftentimes gets thought about when it comes to accountability groups where it's like, okay, uh, today in my relationship with my wife, I kind of got mad at her and I said something I shouldn't have said. I mean, that's important, but we're talking about confessing. Like I was at the gym and I, I saw somebody that didn't know Jesus and, and I, just, I just felt ashamed and I didn't say anything. Or you know what? I'm struggling with some doubts in this area. As I'm struggling with some, some challenges in my life. Like, we're to confess all of these things to brothers and sisters in Christ so we can stir one another up. This is what his his community looks like. Pray for one another without ceasing. Sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs. I don't do that every time I get together with my friends, my brothers in Christ. Like, they don't wanna hear me sing songs every time. But it is an important part of our communities, should be. Contribute to the common needs, carrying one another's burdens, using your gifts within the body like these are all aspects of what it is to be the community of faith to love deeply like brothers and sisters like this is God's command my question is church are these things regular part of your life with other brothers and sisters it doesn't have to be a group of 20 i'm just saying do you have deep fellowship within this body right here where that is relevant, where that's obvious, where that's a part of your day-to-day living. If it's not, we're not being faithful to what God has called us to. And we're not being the church that God wants us to be. We won't be growing. We won't be experiencing the kind of life that Jesus wants for us. We won't be learning what is true, what love is. We won't be trying to learn how to practice what love is and patience and gentleness and those types of things because it's messy, it's hard, it's selfless. We won't have got what God intends for us. If you're an experienced community like this, I'm not trying to say go somewhere else. I'm trying to say build it here. Build it with the people that God has put around you. Build it with the people that are in your circle of influence. And brothers and sisters, none of these things is meant to be one-sided. Like the intent of sharing these things isn't to say like, okay, I don't feel like anybody is stirring me up. Who are you stirring? Right? I don't feel like anybody's confessing sins to me. Who are you confessing sins to? Like this is two sides of the same coin. Like if you're not experiencing that, that's not excuse to just say, well, it's not there. It's an opportunity for you to try to build it and create it and make it within the group of people that God has put around you. Like it's part of your responsibility to step in that. It's really easy to sit back in a corner and kind of fold our arms and say, well, this isn't like the community I've ever had. Nobody's done this for me. Nobody's been these things for me. And maybe that's the case, and I lament that. But who are you being this for? And who are you helping create this for? Don't wait for these things to be done to you or for you. Become facilitators of them. I want us to become a church full of people and community that looks like this. I want to move on to one final point, which is this. There is a deep joy in true Christian fellowship. This is one of those commands that, as we're we're, we're called into it, that has unbelievable joy attached to it. Like, this isn't something we do out of duty. It's like, oh, I've got to go hang out with my Christian brothers and sisters. No, no. Like, this should become a joy. And if you've never experienced it, it's because maybe you've never stepped into it. But I want to just give you a vision. I want us to catch a vision of what it looks like to have this kind of a fellowship. And and before I do that though, I wanna be really clear. Some of you are here because you've been hurt by a church. Some of you are here because you've had to leave another church. And I get that. And this is not meant to be exclusive, saying that everybody is this way. Everybody's experiences are different. And here's what I do know, that there are few places that can be as painful as being in the church. Some of you say probably amen to that. Like the closer you get to people, the bigger chance there is that someone can hurt. And some of you have had to leave churches and it wasn't your choice and it wasn't your opportunity or you labored over it for months or even years. And I get that. But overall, this stuff is true when it comes to the people of Christ across evangelical Christianity. And so I don't want you to mishear me to say that if you have experienced that, that I don't believe that there's genuine challenges and genuine hurts and genuine things that might make you break fellowship with other people. That is, that is the case at times. But I'm guessing that even if that is your case, you've also experienced what it's like to have true fellowship and the joy that comes from that. So here's a view of the joy that we can have if we step into this. One, one, We find support in difficult times. We need this, don't we? Every single person in this room, at some point in their life, is going to need the support of another brother or sister in Christ. Something is going to happen. You're going to get sick. A challenge is going to come. You're going to get laid off. There's going to be a need that you're going to need someone to support you. Not only that, it's not just coming from our individual lives. It's also coming from the world in which we live, isn't it? Is it going to get easier or harder to be a faithful Christian in the next 20 years? Harder. We need each other to support one another. And this is a joy that we gain from scripture or from from deep fellowship and community. And I want to say this, don't wait until the difficult times to find community. If you don't have community before the difficult times come, you're going to find yourself alone. Build community now so that when the difficult times come, you have the support to come around you. It's really easy for us to not think about this until we need it. Think about it now, brothers and sisters. And if you have it and you're in that that time right now and you don't find the support, then come to the church, come talk to your pastors. We will give that support to you. But I would say this, your greatest support network should be your deep fellowship and community of brothers and sisters you're walking with. I would love to minister to every single one of you. It's not possible. It's just not. Sometimes I hear of brothers and sisters in this church that have been in the hospital for weeks and I didn't even know about it. Find it before you're in the difficult time. You'll find intercessors. Have you ever had an opportunity where you've been prayed for and you've seen God answer those prayers and see the joy that comes from that? When Karen and I were in China and we were adopting Jade, uh, that was one of the two of the hardest weeks I've ever experienced in my life. And I remember calling back and asking people to pray for us in that time. And there was a joy in knowing that brothers and sisters were actually going to the Lord on our behalf. And we saw God move in miraculous ways. So you find intercessors. Iron will sharpen iron. Do we all need this? We all need it. And it's not always comfortable, because when iron sharpens iron, little pieces of the iron come off, don't they? Like, but this is an opportunity for us to be together, to grow with one another, to sharpen one another. Encouragement, just to be encouraged on the day-to-day. Restoration, when we fall, to have somebody there to pick us back up, to help encourage us on the way. And then another view of the joy is their experience of Jesus. You know, Jesus says in a text, he says, where there are two or three or two or more gathered together, there I am also. How many of you heard that text before? Now, most of the time when we hear that text, we think of that meaning that, listen, if we're in prayer time together, then we need to put two or three people together and then the Lord will be present with us, which is absolutely true. But the context of this text isn't that God hears our prayers more when there's more of us in the same room. The context of this text is in forgiveness in regards to the church and the body. So here's here's what this practically means. Where there's two or three together, then we actually get to experience Jesus work himself out and show himself in a brother or sister in Christ. So in other words, for example, if I'm with my brother David Mann and we're praying together and I share and confess a sin and, and he gets to assure me of the, of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and he gets to forgive me for my sin against him, I'm experiencing Jesus through David. If I'm struggling financially and I tell a brother or sister in Christ or they find out about it and that brother or sister in Christ gives to that need or supports that need, I'm experiencing the provision not of that person but of Jesus. If you're in need and you're sick and someone comes and lays hands upon you and prays over you, that's Jesus. If someone comes and visits you in the hospital who's a brother or sister in Christ, it's not just them visiting you. That's Jesus because Jesus is in us and he is working through us right the hope is is that we've all said it is no longer I who lives it is Jesus who lives in me and through me so when Jesus says we're two or three are gathered together in my name there I am he means that because you and you and you are the hands and the feet of Jesus to somebody else how many of us miss this? How many of us have just not get to see Jesus in that way because we don't have deep fellowship? This is what God has called us into. Next, we all are given a place to shine, to use our gifts, to practice our gifts, to grow in our gifts, our talents, I love that Ryan asked my my 12-year-old son, Ethan, to play drums for a a couple of nights ago, or the, the last worship night, not the last one, the one before that. But because Ethan is part of the body of Christ, he gets to use his giftings with other brothers and sisters who won't judge him if he messes up, but will support him and encourage him all towards the same end. Like We're to use those gifts, whether it's to sing, or to serve, or to teach, or to encourage. This is a place for you to shine that's why we never be at church that says no to somebody. Well, sometimes, but hopefully not very often, right? Like, hey, I want to I sing to the Lord. Okay, then sing to the Lord. Well, they're not the best singer. So what? Does God care? Right? Like, well, they're not the most refined guitar player. Well, you know what? It's important for us to have excellence, but doesn't God want us to uh, like invite people to use their gifts and to grow in those gifts? Like this is what the church is supposed to be, a place for us to all shine. So here's my point. When we live in accordance with the kind of community that God wants for us, it is beautiful and it is joyful. So my encouragement to us all is let's all push hard against the culture, that would see relationships as a low priority, that would see them desire to be shallow, see them to be disposable. I'll just move on from this one to the next one because this one will make me happier. Let's push against that and seek to be the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. where We love one another through the power of the Spirit of God in his strength, exampling to all people what it looks like for Jesus to love us. Amen? What it looks like to be at the table that we just celebrated a few moments ago. Let's be a place where unless we move away, we're faithful for longer than just seven years. We're faithful to one another, to his heart, to his people, faithful to be his people. Let's actively create this kind of a place so that others who don't have it can find a home. Amen? That's why we do picnics like what we're doing today. It's why I'm going to let some of you all dunk me in a dunk tank at 1120, right? That's not typically my cup of tea. But the point is, We want to be a place where we have opportunity to have fellowship and to be together. I mean, can we, let's strive to that. I'm going to close this with this. Like, fellowship and community, the way God intends it to be, will never happen for any of us without us trying to see it come to pass. You know why? Because godly fellowship doesn't happen by our nature. Because godly fellowship is one where we humble ourselves and we love one another. And listen, by my nature, I don't want to humble myself. I don't really want to love people unless they love me back. I don't want to love people unless those people meet my needs. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus loves us with, is it? He loves us with a self dying kind of love. And so let's be that, let's enjoy that together. And that's our hope today, as we end our time. And as we wrap up our time, I want to just do a couple of things here. One, I'm going to ask you all to do something I don't typically ask you to do, but if you have your phone, I want to ask you to pull it out. So if you've got a phone listen, teenagers, I'm asking you to pull your phone out in the church service. Like college students, like pull out your phone. And here's what I I want you to do. And so this is what we want everybody to do. If you've got your app, the Central Christian app, you can go to the app. And on the app, you're going to see a little section that says survey link. Here's what we want to do. We would love to hear from you. And so there's different ways you can do that. You can either go to the app and click on the survey link, or you can look in your um, announcement sheet and there's a little QR code that you can scan and it's gonna take you directly to a survey. It'll take 60, 70 seconds. Like it will not take a very long time. You can scan it this way. And it's simply asking questions so that we know as leaders how we can help you connect into the body of Christ, how we can make sure this place is that kind of a place here at Central. You will never be asked for your name in this survey. So you can say, please don't say anything you want, um, but you can be honest. Um, but we want it to be real, and so we want it to be like intentional. But it's asking questions like, I feel like I'm growing in my spiritual maturity here at Central. One, I strongly disagree. Five, Strongly agree, or somewhere in between, right? I feel connected to True Fellowship at Central. We want to know. If we're not helping you get there, we need to change things on our end of things. And there's about eight different slides, eight different questions that you'll process through, and that's going to help us know, as a church, how we're doing. And so please do that you can do it right now i'd ask you to do it right now because i've got some other announcements and then ryan's going to close um, us in just some celebratory songs together as the church and then we're going to go out and we're going to eat and, and, and have food trucks and dunk tanks and games and just be together amen and sweat we're going to sweat like a lot because who thought it would be 95 degrees in september right but apparently that's the world in which we're in. So nonetheless, we're going to go out and we're going to have a good time. And I want to encourage you to come out there. And if you don't know, like all the picnic stuff is going to be on this side of the building. So it's the south side of the building. Please go through the main entrance over there at the pavilion, which is where all the picnic tables are at. That's where the food trucks are. If this is your first time at Central, come join us. Like we'd love to get to know you. Um, sit down. Hopefully someone will just introduce themselves um, to you, but we would love to get to know you. This is a great time for you to sit with your house churches, a great time for you to engage with your gospel life classes, and just be together. Let's just have a good time, and so uh, I want to uh, just encourage you to do that. Um, next, a uh, little announcement that I want to, to say is if you've got Uh, student in our student ministry, our C3 student ministry, this Wednesday night is an opportunity for you to have another time together, a cookout to just meet uh, the different leaders and to be together and hang out. So if you have a junior high or senior high student, come on Wednesday night. It'll be a great time to just be together, have fun and fellowship, eat, get to know one another. You can get to get to know other parents that have their kids there uh, at the youth, but we do need you to register online for that. And then I want to say one other thing too. You know, we talk about in this sermon that the church should be a place for you to be able to engage and use your gifts. I I want to celebrate one. Um, On the picture or screen, you're going to see a picture of Lorenzo Valdez. Um, I don't know how many of you know Lorenzo. Lorenzo is one of our students at CCA. Lorenzo, you've got a fan club. Um, Lorenzo was in Albania with us, but Lorenzo... um, all by himself, through his Boy Scout troop, decided that he wanted to raise money to be able to build a gaga pit. Older generations, that's a game, okay? A gaga pit at, uh, I didn't know what it was until like three years ago, so that's not a knock on I had no idea. But a gaga pit at Urban Preparatory Academy, which is where we've been partnering there um, through mentors and all that stuff. Lorenzo raised all the funds and got that thing put together at Urban Preparatory. And here's why I say that, because isn't it awesome that to see a young man serve the Lord on his own initiative, like, isn't that awesome? Like, and celebrate that. Like, that's what we should all be doing. And, and what I love about that is, listen, if you're a young person in this room and you're 12, 13, 14, whatever the age range is, you're part of the kingdom of God now. And you can do whatever God puts upon your heart. If he has called you to it, like he will bless that. And so I just wanted to celebrate that um, and and just engage that uh, this morning as well. So here's how we're gonna close. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna thank God for our time. We're gonna sing us up a couple songs. Please fill out the survey uh, and then join us out in the uh, pavilion. I'm gonna miss the next song or so because I'm supposed to be the first one in the dunk tank. And so I got to go change because I'm not wearing this in the dunk tank. Um, So, uh, and I'm going to say one rule, by the way, don't you dare any of you just walk up and hit the button. (laughs) That is not the point. If you're going to see myself or Ryan or Todd go in that water, you better earn it. All right. So Stephanie's going to be out there making sure so that none of y'all cheat kids. You either. My kids, there will be consequences for you. I don't know where you're at. I'm hoping I can get through my entire shift without any of you hitting that button. So nonetheless, um, I'm hoping that this is a great time for us. Uh, Please join us. I want it to be a good opportunity. So let me pray. We'll close out with some worship and then we'll go out and enjoy our day. Father, we thank you for um, your church. You've built it. We haven't. It's your people. Uh, You've done all the work. We haven't done any of it. And yet you've called us to something to be a part of it. And and we get to be the beneficiaries of it, to get the the beneficiaries of an extended family, brothers and sisters in Christ, seeking to outdo one another in honor, seeking to love one another, seeking to care for one another, support one another, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, encourage one another in a dark age, which constantly is pressing us away from the things that you want us to be. Lord, you have given us an amazing gift and all of it has been purchased by your blood. And so we are thankful. We're thankful for the work of Jesus. We're thankful that we can be saved by grace through our faith in him. That it is not of our own work so that none of us can boast. There's not one person in your family whether they're in Egypt or Albania or here in Wichita, that can boast of being at this table, of being together in this family because we were good enough. We're here because you redeemed us and we're here because you bought us and we're here because you reconciled us. And so Lord, in the next couple of moments and the next rest of our time together today, Lord, would you just bless the fellowship? Father, I pray for those that feel lonely, that they would find that fellowship. I pray, Father, for those that have experienced the hurt and the pain that they might be able to to find forgiveness and they might be able to find a way and a time to be able to shift away from that experience and find joy and fellowship here with others. Father, I pray for those that might be here for the first time. Lord, may they be welcomed. May they be loved well. Father, I pray for those that are not part of the family. They're on the outside and they're looking in. I pray first that they would see us love one another well so they can see Jesus. And I pray second, Lord, that you would call them into the family of Christ. You would call them into your family. And Father, you would speak to them, open their eyes, and help them to see the family in which they could be a part of. It is the best community this world has to offer. And I pray that they'd be able to see that. So bless the rest of our time together, Father. We ask and pray all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.